Well, again, welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us today on this very special Mother's Day. And uh, we are continuing on today in our series in the book of Jonah. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab that. And we're going to be in Jonah. You can make your way there. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there should be a hardback black one uh, underneath the chairs there somewhere around where you're sitting. You can grab one of those as well. Um, this series has been called God's Infuriating Grace, which might sound a little strange because oftentimes when we think about grace, we get the warm, fuzzy, good feelings. Um, we don't think about it being infuriating. But I think if we were to really dive down and think about it and, and examine our lives, there are times where God's grace doesn't feel so warm and fuzzy. Sometimes it does it takes us to hard places. Sometimes it meets us in hard situations. Sometimes it's given out to someone we think don't des- doesn't deserve it. Or it requires things of us that we're not ready to do. And uh, we're seeing all of that happen in, in Jonah's life. He's having a full head-on collision uh, with God's grace here in this story. And we're learning a lot from him and how he's responding. And today we want to look at relenting to God's grace. What's it look like when we finally say yes, when we finally give in, as Jonah's going to do here in this part of the book? Um, it's interesting to me, you know, in our world, um, nobody really likes broken stuff, right? Like when stuff breaks, we throw it out, right? We don't want broken stuff. We want like new, you know, functioning, um, you know, nice, pretty stuff. That's what that's what we're all about, it, you know, and, and, and when stuff's broken, we don't really have a place for it, you know, just this... Just yesterday, I was having to work on our weed eater because it broke, and then the dryer's not doing right, and so I was trying to work on that stupid thing. And, 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 but recently, over the last couple months, we've had this, this flat-screen plasma TV in our, in our living room. It's, going, it's like going on like eight years old now, so it's kind of getting towards the end of its lifespan. And, and like, a year or two, like a year or so ago, like, it got like, like one like really thin black line, you know, like across like about three-quarters of the way down or up, and... Uh, and it's like, just like one little line, so it's not a big deal, right? You just keep watching TV, it's, you know, it's, you don't even notice it. And then one line became two lines, right? So you got like the one going horizontal, we got one going vertical now, and then that's, so then you get like this, this thing going, and it's still not a big deal, it's still watchable. And then it became three lines and four lines, and like, okay, you know, it's, we can deal with this. And now it's like 10 to 15 lines going across our TV, and it's kind of starting to get annoying at this point, right? And you're like, okay, I, so we're kind of starting to look at how do we replace this thing, and you know, looking at options, and because we just don't like broken stuff. But that's the difference between us and God. God loves brokenness. He loves brokenness, especially in his people, because it means we're dependent. It means we're coming to him. It means we're finally getting who he really is and who we really are And we're going to see here in Jonah's life that brokenness is the bridge from rebellion to restoration. In those times in our life where we're running from God, where we're doing our own thing, where we are living in rebellion, the way we get out of that, the way we get back to restored relationship with God is through brokenness. It's the only bridge that will get you from one side to the other. And we're going to see that here in the life of Jonah this morning. So, in Jonah chapter 1, look at verse 17. We're going to pick up the last verse here of chapter 1. We didn't get to last week. 
It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So here's the first point this morning. My rebellion leads to God's discipline. In my life, my rebellion leads to God's discipline. So let's just kind of do a recap of Jonah's story to kind of catch you up. Maybe if you haven't been with us the last couple weeks, or even if you have, sometimes we need a refresher, right? So God comes to Jonah and says, hey, I got a mission for you. Go here, tell these people this message. And he's like, nope, not doing it, right? He says no to the mission. He says no to the message. He runs the opposite direction from God. He flees from God. He flees from the mission. In his flight, he's on this ship and things are going crazy and people are coming to him. The captain says, hey, dude, we're about to die. Like, you need to be praying to your God. And Jonah says, yeah, no, not, I'm not really gonna do that, right? So he re, he's, he's in rebellion, he's fleeing, he, re, he, he refuses to pray. And then when they're trying to figure out whose fault it is and who can we, you know, get to, to, to deal with this thing and, and he still won't confess that it's his sin that's causing the whole ship to go down until God finally outs him with the casting of the lots. And then even when his sin is finally out there in the open, he still refuses to repent. He's like, just throw me over. Just throw me overboard. And that's where we get to here in chapter 17. He's just been thrown, or I'm sorry, verse 17. We've, he's just been over, thrown overboard into the water to his death, assumingly. And then in verse 17, the Lord shows up again. He says, the Lord appointed. It's a great word. It's an important word right there. God's in control. Every moment, every step, every piece of the puzzle, God is in control. God appointed a great fish to come and swallow him up. See, God is sovereign over all things. This isn't chance. This isn't natural circumstances. This isn't some attack from Satan and like, oh, Satan's after Jonah. No, no, no. This is the Lord. This is God's discipline. God's the one who's brought him to the brink of death because he won't repent and he's trying to get his attention and he's the one who's throwing him overboard. He's the one who's appointed the fish to come. This isn't a wrathful, vengeful God. This isn't Satan's attack. This is loving, fatherly discipline of a wayward child. So he sends this great fish, which brings a whole lot of questions, right? So let's just kind of dive into the whole great fish thing for a second. Let's just put this all on the table, all right? So first of all, what was the fish? We don't know. It just says a great fish. Was it a whale? Maybe, okay? A lot of times you'll hear that Jonah got swallowed by a whale. Maybe he did. We don't know. In the Hebrew, in the Greek, in the original languages, it literally just says great fish, all right? A large, giant fish of some kind. It could have been a whale. If it wasn't a whale, what are some other possibilities? Well, did a little research this week, and I don't know if you know this, but scientists tell us that there are over up to one million different species of animals living in the oceans. One million. And up to two-thirds of those we have not even yet discovered, or if they've been discovered, they have not yet been studied enough in depth to know anything about them. So it's very likely he, this could have been some unknown sea creature to us that lives in the ocean that we've never seen. We don't even know what it is, and God called it up from the depths of somewhere to come and take this Jonah thing on, right? Of those two-thirds of a million species that we don't even know what they are, uh, scientists predict that six to eight of those species could be types of whales or dolphins. So maybe it was a whale. 
Maybe it was an unknown sea creature. Maybe it was an extinct sea creature that we just don't have around anymore that died off before we ever started documenting those kind of things, and we don't even know exactly what it was. But that's not really the real question. Right? It's not what swallowed Jonah. The real question is, did something really swallow Jonah? Right? Like, seriously, can this even be a real thing? Like, it seems kind of far-fetched. Is this even really a possible deal? And so, again, doing some research this week, some would argue that there have been other similar accounts of these things like this happening to men in recorded history. But as I read some of those accounts, if I can just be honest with you this morning, they weren't very credible. They, they were kind of like missing some details and some guys recanted this. Re, like it just, there wasn't uh, anything I found that I was like, yeah, this definitely happened a second time with so-and-so over here. So, so then that leads us to the question, is it made up? Is it fiction? Is it something that the writer just threw in there to make the story seem cooler than it really was? Here's my issue with that, just from a literary standpoint. If your whole purpose in including part of a story is to make it sensational, then you give it details, you give it flair, you give it the whale or the fish or whatever it is only shows up in two verses in the entire book for literally like a split second with no details, with no extra, it's just, it swallowed him and then it vomited him up. That's all you get about the creature, right? Like, if you're going to, like, think about the movies and stuff and, like, all the books. Like, if you have this big, like, giant creature coming in to, like, it's a big deal. And you put lots of detail and you make it really exciting and sensational. And they don't, the author doesn't do that. All the other myths of the day that had these crazy kind of stories, there was all this detail to make it seem like it was really, really cool. And so, I don't think the author would just kind of give a passing reference if it, was just trying to make it seem better than it was. So then how do we explain this? If we've never seen it before or since, but it doesn't seem fake because of the way the author includes it, then how do we explain the fish, the, this whole story? It's, it's the same thing we've already seen in the story. It was a miracle. This was literally a supernatural event. This is just another way that God shows up in the world of man and supernaturally intervenes because he is the sovereign God. And we don't need to be able to understand how this could happen or if it could actually happen in the natural world because it didn't happen in the natural world. It happened supernaturally. God could have used a jellyfish if he wanted to come and swallow Jonah. Because <laughs> it was supernatural. It wasn't a, a physics thing. Do you get that? Like, this was God supernaturally using one of his creatures to achieve his purposes. And I know there's lots of people that say, well, I, I don't really, I don't believe in the supernatural, Micah. If I, if I can't see it, if I can't prove it, if there's not some science to, for me to be able to back it up, then I, I don't believe in that kind of stuff. Well, you're right. You can't prove it. And you can't see it. Because the supernatural doesn't work that way. It's beyond us. It's beyond our natural abilities. So the supernatural requires two things. It requires humility and faith. Humility to admit that God is actually bigger than I am and knows more and can do more than I can do. 
And let's just be honest, if God couldn't, he'd be a pretty lame God, right? Like if God was just like me, maybe a little stronger and a, a little bit better looking, that wouldn't be a super great God. Are you tracking with me? If he can't do things that are supernatural, then he's not God. He has to be bigger than us. And when we come to it with a humble faith saying, yeah, there's something bigger than me out there and he can do things and, and achieve things that I can't understand, then we start to finally understand supernatural. Humility and faith. Faith to say that if, if God is there and if he is bigger than I am, then he can do some things that I don't know and I can't explain and that's okay. But the real emphasis here on this whole story, sometimes we get sidetracked with the supernatural thing and the fish and the whole, like, did this really happen question. But that's not even the point of the story. Do you get that? The point of the story is not how awesome God is with the fish thing. The point of the story is not his supernatural power, it's his grace. That's the point. That when Jonah gets thrown overboard and it is plunging into the waters into certain death, God sends a fish to swallow him up as an act of divine grace and save his life, even in the midst of his rebellion. God's keeping Jonah safe, and he's getting him back to himself. So he ends up in the fish, and it says here, for three days and three nights, which is not a quick turnaround, right? Like, it's not like he was just like in there for a couple hours, and then out you come. Like, three days and three nights, that's a while, right? And and so why did that happen? Why, I don't know why. The Bible doesn't tell us why exactly. Maybe it took him that long to finally break and repent and get right with God before God would get him out. Maybe it took the fish that long to get to the shore where he was going to release him. We don't really know for sure, other than we know this, that in the New Testament, Jesus actually explains this himself. In Matthew 12, it says, verse 40, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah's three days in the fish actually prefigures the three days between Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. This is why we love the Old Testament, man. This is why we still study the Old Testament. This is why it's so valuable. It shows us that our God is so big and so awesome and has, he sees the end from the beginning. He's been planning this thing the whole time. He never was lost control of any of it. It was all part of his master plan that I'm leading this somewhere, and I'm leading it to Jesus Christ. And he's going to come, and he's going to fix everything you can't fix. He's going to save you when you can't save yourself. God's been writing a salvation story from the beginning of time. He's been working. He's been preparing. He's been planning for the day that he could rescue his lost people from their sin. That's how sovereign our God is. That's how big and awesome our God is. He can save even from the deepest, darkest deaths. Have you heard that saying um, in, in culture that, that the, the punishment should fit the crime? Yeah, you guys have heard that one, right? Like, so that's actually kind of a biblical concept. You know, we see that throughout scripture that there's different levels of punishment and different responses to different things. And this is something that I think it's, it's super important for us as parents to grab a hold of as well and, and to really incorporate this into how we discipline our children in accordance with their sin and with the level of their accountability for that. And that was something that, that um, 
if, if I be honest, Courtney and I wrestled with for a while in our own parenting and several years back kind of had to, to do a deep dive on that. We were actually at a family camp and the guy was teaching on different types of discipline and, and what was applicable to different things. And, and, um, and we got to the habit where we were just using like the same punishment for everything. No matter what the kid did, it was a spanking or time or whatever, like just the same thing, like every time. And it really wasn't being that effective. And so and it wasn't that fair. And so sometimes, you know, we started kind of diagnosing kind of three categories. Sometimes our girls disobey um, because they don't know better, right? They just, they just haven't learned that yet. They just, there, there hasn't been any teaching on that. They, they don't have all the information they need to make the right decision. And, and in those situations, you know, a spanking is probably not appropriate. It needs to be a teaching, correction, correcting type of discipline. And no, we don't do that. This is what we do. So now go do this instead and let's correct it. And, but then next time, now you know, right? And then it's a whole other, then it goes to another category. Are you, are you tracking with me? And so, so first there's the teaching, there's the correction thing. And then there's sometimes our girls will disobey in things simply because they're kids and they don't know how to manage all this energy I have versus self-control, right? And they're just like kind of, they got too much energy and too much going on and, and they're just too excited about this, that, the other. And so in those instances, we had to start coming up with punishments or, or discipline that would either A, be calming, or B, be exhausting, okay? <laughs> like, either A, you need to go sit on your bed for a while and just chill and get yourself under control, or B, go outside and run 15 laps around the house and just run that energy off. And we literally do that sometimes. Sometimes that is the discipline. Like, you got 10 laps, go. And they have to run around the house until they run off that energy because they're just, can't control it, right? They're not trying to be defiant. They just are out of control. But then there's other times where there is clear, defiant, deliberate disobedience or even deception, right? Though in our house, those are the ones that get the severe punishment. Like, you want to really get it? You deliberately do something not do something we told you to do, or you lie to us about it, that will bring down, never mind. That's, that's the bad stuff right there, right? That's, that's the high level discipline moments. And God does the same thing with us. He disciplines us in accordance with our behavior, with the level of our sin, and with the level of our refusal to confess and repent. Jonah here has taken him to the farthest level, right? Like he's given Jonah multiple opportunities to confess and repent and to get back on track and to obey and Jonah keeps refusing and keeps refusing and keeps refusing and God is just, he's just staying right there with us, right? He's not letting this go. I'm going to bring you to the place where you understand that this is not good for you. He will discipline us as long and as deep as is required to turn us to confession and repentance. The level of my rebellion sets the depth of God's discipline. In our lives, it's the level of my rebellion that sets the depth of God's discipline. He doesn't respond the same way to everything. Second thing this morning, look at verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. 
So here's the second point today. God's discipline leads to my brokenness. My rebellion leads to God's discipline, and then God's discipline leads to my brokenness. It says here, then Jonah prayed, right? It took God's discipline to finally break Jonah, right? It says, then, that's a very important word, then Jonah prayed. When then? When he was about to drown in the ocean and the fish is coming, that's when Jonah finally broke. It says he prayed from the belly of the fish. And can you just imagine that prayer? (laughs) Can you just imagine rewinding that one like, okay, God, fine, you win, I surrender, now get me out of here, right? Like, Like, this is the breaking point for Jonah. And it's important because here's the reality, friends. And you need to know this. You might want to write this one down for sure. God is repelled by pride, but attracted to brokenness. Our God is repelled by pride. The quickest thing that will separate you from the Lord is pride in yourself. But man, he is attracted to brokenness. When we fall on our knees in repentance and we call out to him, he comes running to that. It's a bold statement, so let me give you some verses. How about that? We want some Bible today to back that one up? How about James 4, 6? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pretty clear, right? I don't even have to like exegete that one for you. Like that's just pretty much right there. How about Psalm fifty-one seventeen? I'm sorry, 50, yeah, fifty-one seventeen. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. He doesn't despise our brokenness. He loves our brokenness, and he runs to it. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. What a great promise. That in our deepest, darkest brokenness, when we are in pieces, God is near. God runs towards brokenness. So Jonah's finally broken. In verse 2, he starts praying. Here's his prayer. Look at Jonah's prayer here. He says, I called out to you, the, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you have heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountain, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. 
Jonah shows us a great picture of brokenness right here with this prayer. So I just want to pull out from his prayer here three pieces of brokenness. What does brokenness look like? It looks like these three things that Jonah gives us here. So brokenness before the Lord, number one, falls down in humility. The first step, the first part of brokenness is that we fall down in humility. We get low. We get low before the Lord, man. Right? He says, I called out, out of my distress, I am at the end of my rope here, Lord. He says, out of Sheol I cried. Sheol was um, a place that the Jewish people believed was like the place of the dead. That was where dead people went. They didn't have the fully orbed understanding of the life after death and the resurrection and all that. They, did, they hadn't been taught that yet. It was still coming in the New Testament. So they just knew when you died, you went somewhere for God to deal with you, and that was called Sheol. So when he says, I, out of Sheol, I cried, he's saying, like, I was in the place of death. Like, I was right there. I was going down. He says, you cast me there. Your waves and your billows rolled over me. God, you were in control. You did this. You are bigger and you are stronger, and, and I submit to you. Oh, Lord. He says, the, the weeds wrapped around my head like I was stuck I couldn't get out on my own. I couldn't get this thing undone. I was stuck there, Lord. I couldn't fix it. I went down, sinking further and further in my sin, unable to save myself. But he answered me. You heard me. You brought up my life. He says, God stepped in and rescued Jonah from this downward descent that he had been on. And all of this shows us that God is great and I am not. That's what humility is. God is great, I am not. And the first part of brokenness is I've got to get there. On my face, before the Lord, God, you are great, and I am not. Fall down in humility, brokenness before the Lord, number two, stands up in worship. So once I get low and I see who I am and who God is, that should draw me to want to worship God for all that he is. Jonah says, I remembered the Lord, right? In other words, I, I turned back. I remembered the God who, who I loved and who had saved me and who had called me. And in the midst of all this, I remembered he's the one who can fix this. He is the only true God, and he is worthy of all of my worship. And then he says, my prayer came to him. Finally, finally, <laughs> Jonah gets it, and he prays. Like, how long have we been waiting for this dude to pray? Right? Like, this has been coming for several episodes of the story now. Prayer is an important part of our worship. It shows dependence on the Lord. It shows humility. It shows exaltation of who he is. And it shows brokenness. We gotta pray. We gotta pray like he's God and we're not. 
And then he goes into this thing talking about vain idols and the people who worship vain idols forsake their hope. And he almost says it like in third person, like he's talking about somebody else, but let's, let's just be honest. We know who Jonah's talking about, right? Who's been the one worshiping idols up to this point? It's been him, man. He's been the one running. He's been the one worshiping something other than God for the whole first chapter. And he says, when you do that, you lose your hope He says, I'm not doing that anymore, God. I'm casting off those idols. I'm done worshiping that other stuff. I'm worshiping you and you alone. That's so, so key when it comes to brokenness. In your brokenness, are you turning your heart fully to the Lord? What what idols do you need to cast off in your brokenness? Are you worshiping money, the bank account, and the 401k, and the home here, and the what are we going to do when we retire, and the vacations? Are, are, we, are we running towards that more than we're running towards Jesus? Are we worshiping our career and getting the next position and getting the next promotion and, and building this and empire and building that? Maybe we're even worshiping family, kids, spouse. I know this is a big family day. It's Mother's Day, so sorry I'm stepping on that one right now, but that's just what it is, right? Like sometimes that's what we do. We start putting it on other people. Maybe you're worshiping sex, and you're running hard after that. Maybe it's private even. Maybe nobody even knows it, but it's got control over your heart and your life. Maybe you're even worshiping church, thinking that that's God to you or your recreation, or your comfort, or your, the list goes on and on and on. Our world is not short on idols, friends. There's one around every corner. But the one that's at the base of all of them is the one that Jonah was dealing with. And that's the idol of self, right? That was Jonah's whole thing. I'm gonna do what I wanna do, the way I wanna do it, how I wanna do it, and God, you're not gonna tell me and we do that so often with God. God tries to tell us something. He tries to get us to do something. He tries to, and we're like, God, no, I'm, I'm not on board for that. I didn't sign up for that one. I'm not doing that. Uh-uh. I got more important things over here. You don't understand what I got going on in my life, God. I can't, I can't be stepping into that right now. That's not worship. Not worship of God anyways. In brokenness, I fall in humility. I stand and I worship the one true God. And number three, brokenness walks on in surrender. Jonah says, I, with the voice of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is so important. Not like Turkey Day Thanksgiving. That's important too. But like heart level, gratitude, thanksgiving, Because once my heart is thankful to the Lord in the midst of my brokenness, I can know for sure that it's brokenness and not bitterness. There is a difference. You get that, right? Sometimes when life comes crashing down, sometimes when our sin gets called out, sometimes we just feel the guilt and the shame of it, and that actually pushes us to bitterness, not brokenness. I know there's brokenness when I can say, thank you, Lord for disciplining me on that. 
Thank you, Lord, for calling out that sin in my life. Thank you. Even though it hurt, even though I didn't like it in the moment, thank you that you got me here through that hardship. That's when we know it's brokenness. He says, I will sacrifice. I will give him everything. I will give him my whole life. Which, by the way, is what's required if you're going to follow Jesus. Sometimes I think we forget that. Like I said the prayer, and I go to church, and I do the the serving thing, but it's more than just checking the boxes. It's, God, I give you everything. Matthew 16, Jesus said this. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Following Jesus means everything. I sacrifice everything for him. He says, what I have vowed, I will pay. Finally, he gets it. Finally, he comes to that place of obedience, that place of submission. God, whatever you said, whatever I said, I'll do it. And then he ends his prayer with this fantastic statement that just encapsulates the whole story of Jonah. Salvation belongs to the Lord, right? Not me. I can't save myself. I tried my plan. It didn't work. It's all you, God. God is the only one who can save. And that's the heart of the gospel, friends. That all of us were born into sin. We had sinful hearts. We made sinful choices. We chose to rebel against God. And we couldn't fix it. And we couldn't make it right, and we couldn't do enough good stuff to wash it away, and we couldn't clean ourselves up, and so God said, you know what? I'll fix it. I'll send my son, Jesus Christ, to be born, to live a perfect, sinless life on this earth, and then to go to the cross and die a sinner's death. To pay for sin, not his sin, to pay for my sin, to pray for your sin, to pay for the sins of everybody else so that our debt can be washed away and we can be forgiven by God. And then as Jonah said, he went into the tomb three days and he rose back to life saying, I'm God, I really am. Here's the proof, see my hands, see my side. I conquered death, I conquered sin, and if you'll come to me, I'll forgive your sins and you can have new life, eternal. Salvation belongs to the Lord. There are a few times throughout my own life where I have experienced extreme levels of brokenness. Many of you have heard my testimony. One of them was in college when God finally brought me to the place where, all right, God, you're in control. I'm not in control. I give you all of it. One of them was early on in our marriage when my sinful past and sinful habit of lust came out and I was found out and I had to get that repented of and corrected with the grace of my wife. But most recently was actually in the core group phase of this church. Some of you were around then and you know a little bit of the story. Some of you weren't, so I'll try to catch you up a little bit. But when God called us to church planting, And when we went and we got trained in Chicago, and the reason we chose Harvest was because they had this system 
they had a method, they had a plan to how to plant churches, and it was being really successful, and God was really blessing it, and he was using it, and we were excited about that. We wanted to be a part of what God was doing, and so we came, and they said, okay, here's, here's your training, and now I'm going to send you to St. Louis, and we, got to Saint, we were supposed to come to St. Louis in January of 2015. They said, here's the plan. You go, you start sharing the vision of the church, start calling people to be a part of the core group, you know, and then by August of that year, 2015, you'll have around 50 adults or so in the core group, and then in September, you launch the church, and you're off and running. We're like, great. So we come, we start sharing the vision, people start joining, and things are going good. We're up to like 25 or so by May, which is fantastic. We're already halfway there. Awesome. And then shortly, we started losing a few people. And a couple more people would come, and then a couple people would leave, and it was just like this, for the next year and a half, it was just this roller coaster of getting a, getting a little closer and then not getting closer and then getting a, just. And I have to be honest with you, during that time period, I was really frustrated. And I was really struggling and I was mad at times and I was upset at times and, and God was showing me that, Micah, this isn't your church and this isn't your plan. And this, this was the first thing ever in my entire life that I couldn't just work harder and do more and make it go. God said, you gotta let me do it. And I spent, in, in, those year, in those months where it was the toughest, man, I spent literally hours on the floor of my office, face down, laying on the floor, crying and praying and begging God to do this. Because I knew I couldn't do it anymore only he could do it. And it wasn't until I was willing to be broken from my pride, from my self-reliance, from my need for man's approval and success that God said, okay, now we're ready. Now we're ready to plant a church. And God started bringing people, and sure enough, he brought that vision that he birthed in our hearts to fruition, and he restored me, and he restored our hope in him and in this church, and God has done a wonderful work and continues to bless and move in our midst. But that restoration didn't come. Amen. That did not come until the other side of brokenness. You have to go through that to get to the restoration that God has in mind. The river of God's grace flows fullest in the valley of my brokenness. You want to experience more of God's grace? You want to be closer to the Lord? You want to be back in full communion, restored relationship with the Father? It comes in the valley of brokenness. When you're willing to get low, and go to the bottom. And let him deal with whatever is down there so he can bring you through to the other side. My rebellion leads to God's discipline. God's discipline leads to my brokenness. And then look at verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. My brokenness leads to God's restoration. 
My brokenness leads to God's restoration. It says, the Lord spoke to the fish. He is still in control. Even now, God's in control. And this is important for us to understand because when we're in the midst of brokenness, we have to get to the point where we understand God is the one who restores. Not me, not you, not man, not the pastor, not the church, not your small group leader. God is the only one who can restore you. And he does it when we get to brokenness. It says the fish, it vomited Jonah out. Gross. Right? Like, did you see, can you get that picture, right? Like, you just, kind of like, like the men in black thing, you know? You know, men in black, when he, like, ends up in the alien, and he, like, shoots his way out, and he comes flying out with all, never mind. Um, it's an important word because it proves that the author's intent is to make sure we understand where Jonah was. Right, this wasn't hyperbole, this wasn't some, you know, like, fish was code word for something else. No, he, he was in the fish, man, and to get out, it took, yeah. It vomited it out on dry land. Jonah's back. He's back restarted, right? He's, he's back to God's presence. He's back to safety on the land. He's back to the mission that God had originally called him to. Get up, go take a shower, and then go to Nineveh, right? Like that's the mission. That's what God does. He restores. So I oftentimes um, brag on my wife's cooking abilities because like for real, the girl can cook. And uh, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You've experienced it. But she's not just a great cook, she's also a great baker. And one of the things that she does for our girls is she makes uh, like these custom cakes for like their birthdays, which is a great thing for Mother's Day, right? And so here's some of her work that she's done. Like this is just a couple of, she sent me several, but like these, these are just, you know, this is what she does for the birthdays. And, and, but as great as these cakes are, no one's perfect. So occasionally it doesn't always go as planned. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, so there was like this one time where she was baking this cake. And I, she was hard in there working for hours and got it all put together and put it in the oven and the thing and it comes back out. And when she took it out, it like just like completely fell apart, right? I'm, I'm not talking about like just like, like a crack in the top or like, you know, a little corner fell off and you just put a little icing and stick it back on there kind of thing. Like, like, like somebody took a hammer to it, like just in pieces, right? And I'm not a baker and so I don't, I don't, know, what ha- I don't know what the problem was and what it all caused the, the deal, but it was like unsalvageable at this point, right? And so she's all upset, and she's like, you know, what are we going to do? I'm like, in my mind, just like, just throw in the trash and start a new one, or better yet, just go buy one. Like, that's my solution to a problem like that. And, but my, my wonderful, resourceful, frugal wife said, no, 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 I, I got this. And she goes back to work, and she pretty soon comes out. And she came out with this most amazing dessert creation, cake balls. Anybody ever had cake balls? Like these, I'm like, next time, like just, let's just skip right over the, let's just mess the cake up and just do these again. Like these are fantastic. And, 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 and my point in saying all that is sometimes things get broken and, and, and when it breaks just a little bit, like just a little corner or a chip or a tear or something, like when it's a little thing, like oftentimes we try to just step in and salvage it and fix it, right? Like I can patch that up. I can do this thing. 
It's not until it comes completely off the rails that we are completely, utterly broken in all the pieces that we realize, okay, I can't fix this one. And God steps in and he fixes it. But oftentimes he fixes it into something even better than what it was originally. Right? He does some, he has a greater, newer thing than we, and we're so much further along. And he takes our brokenness and he takes our mess up and he takes our sin and he takes all of our stuff and he makes something beautiful out of it. God restores best those who are broken most. It can't just be a little bit. It can't just be a little chip and some super glue or like, if you want full out restoration with the Lord, man, you've got to come to a place of complete and utter brokenness. Pieces. Because brokenness is the bridge from rebellion to restoration. That's the only way we get there. When we find ourselves in rebellion, in our sin, in disobedience to the Lord, the only way we can get back to to the Lord and get back to what's right is through brokenness over that rebellion and that sin in our life. Like I said at the beginning, I know we don't like that. We don't like brokenness, right? Especially when it's us. It can hurt. It's, it's painful. It can be humiliating at times. It can feel like we have failed and that we're less than we used to be. But God loves it. God loves it when we finally admit that we can't do it and we need him. And we fall and we let him do things that he can do and only he can do. That's when his grace and his mercy come flooding into our lives. So I want you to ask yourself a question this morning. When was the last time in your life that you were truly broken before the Lord? When's the last time he took you to the mat and you were broken before him? Maybe it was over, maybe it's over a sin in your life that you're still struggling with, you're still dealing with, you're still fighting against. Maybe it's over an act of disobedience, maybe not so much like a sin per se, but God told you to do something and you're refusing to do it. Maybe it's just over a circumstance. Sometimes it's not a sin thing. Sometimes it's just hard circumstances come into our life and things happen and they're just... It's just a lot of weight to carry and I just can't handle all this and I need God's help. That's a great opportunity for brokenness as well. Maybe there's something in your life right now that God's trying to get you to that place of brokenness. Maybe there's a sin right now that you still haven't confessed. Nobody knows about it but you. You've got it buried so deep, man. You are hiding that sin so well. You are covering tracks. You but inside it's eating you alive. And God's saying, bring it to me. Just come, fall in brokenness and let me have that. Maybe, maybe it's something that's already come out. Maybe you've already confessed it. Maybe it's already come out and it's known, 
but you're still struggling to get past it. You're still struggling to get traction and get over that sin in your life and you're needing God's help and he's not gonna give you the traction you need until you truly get broken and repentant over that sin. Brokenness is the bridge. Maybe again, maybe it's a circumstance. Maybe you just got a really hard season in your life right now. You're like, I just don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to do with this, God. Brokenness. That's where he'll meet you. In that moment, he'll come with his grace and pour it into your life. So here's what we're gonna do to end our service today. We're gonna open up the front here as an altar to the Lord. I'm gonna invite you to come and to kneel. You can kneel at the stage. You can kneel over here on the side. You can kneel at one of these front chairs. But to get down and to physically get low before the Lord in humility and cry out to the Lord, Lord, help me. I need you. Lord, break inside of me whatever it is that's keeping me from the other side of this. And as you come, as you pour out your heart and God meets you in your brokenness, he will restore. But you have to be willing to take those steps into brokenness. Humility, worship, surrender. I'm gonna pray. The worship team's gonna sing a song over us. And as I pray, as they sing, this is gonna be open up here. Nobody's gonna bother you. If, you. if you need help, you can come and grab me. I'll be happy to talk with you or pray with you. But if you just wanna come meet with the Lord, this is a time for you to get before the Lord in brokenness. Maybe you're just like me, I just, I need, I need a fresh season with the Lord. I've just been in a dry spell for months now. I just need something fresh in the, with the Lord. You get freshness from the Lord by getting broken before the Lord. Come and pray and say, God, whatever it is in my life keeping me from this, break that and let me have a new taste of your goodness today. As I pray, they're gonna sing, you're gonna come. We're gonna do business with the Lord today and he's gonna restore Stand with me. Heavenly Father, Father, we come before you right now, but we are acknowledging today, Lord, that we are an imperfect people. Lord, there are no perfect people in this room, myself included, Lord. We are sinners and we have struggles and we have hardships and we have a world that we cannot handle on our own, Lord, and we need you. So Father, I'm praying that right now, Lord, your Holy Spirit would come and that you would break our hearts. Lord, you would bring us to that place of utter brokenness before you. Lord, so that we might get to experience the fullness of your grace and the restoration of your love. Lord, you can do such a greater thing on the other side of this if we will just release it to you. If we would just allow your, allow your spirit to break us and to bring us to that place. Lord, so right now I pray, Lord, that as we pray and we sing, Lord, I pray that people would come, that you would give them the courage and the strength to step out, Lord, step out of their chairs, step out of their aisles, Lord, come and meet with you, the God of the universe, so that your grace can flood their lives. Father, we need you. We need you right now. Lord, come and meet with us in our brokenness. I pray all of this in Christ's name.